Hey there, beautiful souls! Welcome to Wellnessable, a podcast about learning. This is your friend Mickey Sachiko. Wellnessable is from the words "wellness is possible," which is something I came up with back in 2018 to push myself and others in achieving life and wellness goals. So wherever you are in your journey in achieving those goals, we are in this together, my friend. With the help of different co-hosts on each episode, we'll talk about real-life lessons you can listen to on the go and easily apply in your day-to-day lives. Let's dive into it. These people specifically save you. Not only save them, but you save the healthcare workers. You save the country. You know, so it's really important. Don't panic. Hi guys, I am excited for another informative talk today. Our topic is what we really need to know about COVID-19 and what we should do now. Let's face it, there's just so much noise around that topic, so we will cut through that noise and talk about some misconceptions, and more importantly, talk about what we need to know for us to safely navigate these uncertain times. This is a repurposed webinar from a few days ago. That we're making into a podcast version for you, so you can benefit from the nuggets of wisdom from our very special guest speaker, who is no other than Dr. Eric Schulz. He is the CEO of LifeTrack Medical Systems. He graduated with honors at UC Berkeley, and he's MD and PhD from the University of California at San Francisco. And he completed his radiology residency at the Harvard Medical School. Of course, he's a serial entrepreneur and inventor with five U.S. patents. And did you know that he's been Philippine-based for many, many years, helping fight the spread of COVID-19 through his company's initiatives, which you can check on their website. That's lifetrackmed.com. That is life. TrackMed.com. They are making healthcare software human guys, and they're not just protecting the frontliners by safely using their intuitive software platforms like a radiology system. They're also partnering with the Philippine government. So you can check out their initiatives there on their website. And of course, big shout out to our sponsor. That is pretty huge obstacles. I. Gotta say, guys, now more than ever, exercising is super, super imperative. But let's not make COVID nineteen get in the way because we can still do virtual workouts with the help of their experts. I'm super grateful that pretty huge obstacles pivoted from being the largest indoor obstacle training facility in Southeast Asia to being basically. An online gym. They can offer you yoga, Zumba, high-intensity training, and all that.、Um, they've got many, many classes that you can sign up for. Go to their website now. It's prettyhugeobstacles.com, and I, I gotta tell you, you're gonna enjoy it. You're gonna be healthier and happier. Again, their website is prettyhugeobstacles.com. Make sure to sign up to their classes now. And of course, on to our inner. View to help you know about COVID nineteen. Here's our guest. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. <laughs>、yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know how busy you are, and yet、um, you are going to be sharing very important topic today. I know you have a presentation as well that you've been using in some of your talks previously, and you slightly did、um, like. A little changes for it to make it really updated and relevant to the Filipino. So, yeah, yeah,、um, yeah. Let, let's let's dive into that, Doc. Okay, should I go ahead and do the share screen then? Now, let's、um, go yes, do that. Yeah. Okay. So, the, yeah. Tell me. Okay. Do you see my screen? Yes, I do. So, just first of all,、um, Doc. So, obviously. I know that you wanted to highlight who are really at risk for the COVID nineteen.、Um, so, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, the first thing,、um, one of the things I try and do in the talk is try and make sure people understand some of the nomenclature and you know some of the names that they've heard. So, the virus itself is called SARS-CoV two. 
and the disease that it causes is COVID-19. So that's just, uh, you know, just in case someone had that question, you know, in the past. But one of the other things I've found in giving these talks is a lot of people don't know what the risks are at all, right? So there's this virus out there, you know, is everybody um, at risk? Well, everybody is at risk for getting the infection, but not everybody's at risk for getting much in the way of symptoms and actually not that many people are at risk for death. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a lot was first off, everyone's at risk to be infected because this disease has never been in the human population. So when it first started in December, there was no immunity in any human anywhere in the world. But now it's been out there for, you know, four or five months. It's, um, you know, a, a number of people been in, have been infected. And, but what, one of the things that is also true is if you're at risk of infected, being infected, what are the symptoms that you might have? So it's very interesting. This disease can be asymptomatic and still spread, which yeah. is, a li- is very unusual. You know, most diseases, and this was true with SARS and MERS, which, you know, happened before, um, those diseases, you were not infectious unless you had a temperature and we're actually starting to feel ill, right? Well, with, with, with COVID, you can be asymptomatic. And so, for instance, you know, we've, we've all heard about the cruise ship off of Japan. Yeah. Well, the cruise mm-hmm. ship off of Japan was full of a bunch of elderly. And even though there were, you know, 700, 800 cases on that cruise ship, only seven people died. And those seven people were all over 70. Um, if you look at a, a ship, another ship that was in the news in the U.S. mostly, but, you know, it's in Guam, it was the USS Teddy Roosevelt, which is an aircraft carrier. Well, guess what? The aircraft carrier was full of 20-year-old you know, sailors, and so there were 5,000 sailors. A 1,000 of them got it within just a month of being, you know, so they docked. A sailor got back on board with the disease, and within a month, a thousand of them had it. But guess how many actually made it to the hospital? Only four Mm. out of a thousand even got Mm. into the hospital. Not a single one went to the ICU. And 60%, and this is the latest information off that, 60% were completely asymptomatic. And so just as a way to sort of reduce the the panic level in the Philippines, the median age in the Philippines, meaning 50% of people are below this age and 50% of people are above, is 25. So the Philippines, just as a general, you know, thing would be the Philippines is much more like the USS Teddy Roosevelt than the Diamond Princess. So that'll be important when we start talking about who's at risk and is this age related. So a very high percentage of people in the Philippines, given the age range, would be asymptomatic. But there is mild, moderate, severe, and obviously the end point of death. And so now we should start talking about, well, what, what, what is what determines that? So the another you know nomenclature thing that we we talk about is what is the fatality rate for COVID? And there's actually two different fatality rates that people talk about. One is called CFR, which is case fatality rate, and the other one is IFR, which is the infected fatality rate. So what's the difference? So case fatality rate is how many people who've been tested and are known to have the virus die. And the IFR is how many people were infected and died, right? Mm -hmm. And so now it's interesting, the CFR is what people see on the website, and I'm sure you've all seen that Johns Hopkins website with the red dots, right? Well, (laughs) um, the case fatality rate is actually kind of an odd number, or the number of cases is actually a very unusual number in the sense that you in the Philippines, at least early on, you only got tested if you were symptomatic, thought you had the virus, and you went to the hospital. So mm-hmm. there's an epidemiology term, uh, you know, phrase called um, uh, selection bias, meaning that you're testing only people that think they have the virus and are symptomatic, and so you're actually biasing the number, the, the case number, by basically saying, oh, 
these are the people who think they have it, so that's going to be my case number. It, it's almost like, and I'll use kind of a wellness <laughs> you know, um, uh, example. Let's say you wanted to know the number of people in you know, uh, the NCR here that were obese, and you put your scale at the entrance to McDonald's. You would obviously bias your idea of how many obese people were, you know, because they're going to McDonald's or if you put it at a Weight Watchers, <laughs> you know, whereas if you put it at a Zumba, <laughs> you know, meeting, you, you'd think that there were very few obese people. You put it somewhere else, you think there are a lot of obese people. In this case, we put the scale, you know, the case, the PCR test at the door to the hospital. So the number of cases is actually kind of probably quite a bit smaller than how many are actually infected. And so, and, and particularly, and that's why I was talking about the asymptomatics, in a mm -hmm. young population, the number of asymptomatic people who are infected is at least 50% per chance, oh. right? So mm -hmm. if that's the number who are asymptomatic, they won't go to the hospital to be tested. <laughs> so, so just to give people an idea, the IFR, and you can go to like the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, they calculate the IFR to be somewhere around, and this they think it'll go down, but 0.1%, meaning one in a thousand. Okay. Not one in a hundred, but one in a thousand. All right? And But if you look at the CFR that you can calculate yourself by looking at, oh, there's 10,000 people were infected, 700 deaths here in the Philippines, you get something like 6%. And so it's almost certainly not anywhere near 6%, but that's related to the selection bias. At least that, in my opinion, I think that's that, but I think it's pretty reasonable to assume that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that people think is, you know, is it age related? Because we always, you know, we, we hear a lot about, oh, if you're elderly, be really careful. Well, mm -hmm. this is a very unusual, um, well, I actually kind of just talked about this. So I'll, go, I'll skip this slide because we just talked about it. Um, you know, so we see these numbers. There was a great article um, in The Lancet, which is a really well, um, uh, you know, um, uh, covered um, uh, and good uh, journal in medicine. And it goes through the, the, the actual um, you know, what's called the IFR again, the, the infection fatality rate. And like in China, and this was, you know, probably in, in mid to late March, there were no deaths under nine years old. And there were 416 cases. Um, and they, they came up with an IFR, you know, just age adjusted IFR of like 0. 0.000 or 00161, which is 16 out of 100,000. So, and it's, it was zero, so that's kind of like a, almost a, mo it's a model number, right? Between ni under 19-year-old, they came out with 0. 0.00695, which is way below, by the way, the standard flu, common, you know, the, the common flu. That's like 0. 0.03. So, this is actually, you know, like 10x lower than that. Right. Then you've got, um, you know, 30. And, and what I'll do is I'll just kind of skip to make it just broader age groups. Right. And this, again, is based on that article. But so, you know, zero to seven deaths out of 100,000 up to age 50, there were only and there were, there were age ranges because they had smaller cuts. But three to 16 deaths out of 10,000 under 50. When you go above 50, it's uh, get starts to get around one percent. And then. Well, um, just to hi highlight a bit about this part, Bob, mm -hmm. that like the older you get, you're more at risk of getting the coronavirus. Ah, right, good. Yeah, very good point, right. So this is, it's not that you're more at risk for getting infected. It's just that if you get infected, you're more with, based on this, you would think it's based on age, that as you get older, you have a higher risk of dying from the infection. But everyone okay. has the same risk of getting infected if they get exposed. I right? got it. So not just for the benefit of those who just join into our um, webinar. So obviously, we're talking about, um, you know, the, uh, you know the, the age part of those mm -hmm. who can get infected. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're old, you'll get to, you know, sick right away. It doesn't mean as well oh, that, right. you're young, that you're not at risk. It's not that. It's obviously a matter of as you get old, 
yes, you get, you have uh, as you know, you can still get sick of it, but like the uh, chances of you dying because of the coronavirus is higher as opposed to the younger. Um, yeah, and I'll and, and it's actually it's actually kind of it's a subtle but really important difference as to why it's related to age because it's it, it's it there's a correlation but it's not a cause and I'll mm-hmm. I'll show you why so anyway so just so you, you can see that it certainly does elderly get have more chance of dying if they get infected you know we'll look at here in in um in Italy. Um, the age at death was median, meaning, you know, was 80. So most of their deaths were, you know, above, uh, like, well, in fact, here it is. No one in Italy at, by March 17th, when they wrote this art, uh, the article that here is referenced, mm-hmm. is, you know, well, I mean, let me actually even make the point that, of this slide. How does a virus even know your age, right? A virus can't look at your birth certificate or your driver's license, or any of that. So how is it possible that a virus could even have a relationship with age, right? Well, it has an age distribution, meaning, you know, the older you get, if you get this virus, you you have a higher chance of dying. But this is a great example of what you use in one of the famous sayings in science, correlation does not mean causation, meaning just because there's a correlation with age doesn't mean that age causes the, uh, the phenomenon. So um, even, you know, but just as a nice thing, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, in Italy, no one under 40 died as of March 17th. So that was, now I'm sure that's changed by now, but 88% of the deaths occurred over 70 and 96% over 60. So there's definitely a skew towards the elderly. But so what is the mechanism that this virus can determine your age? Well, yeah. here it is. And this is the key thing that I want to get across to people. It's the most important point of the whole talk, which is the virus causes the most severe disease in people with specific pre-existing conditions okay mm-hmm. this is the critical point so what what are these conditions and I, I don't know how if the the writing's big enough but certainly but hypertension's number one off on the list you mm-hmm. know so and I know we <laughs> here in the Philippines you call it high blood <laughs> but like hypertension is you know high blood pressure and that's number one on the list. Then there's obesity with a BMI over 30, which is a body mass index. And, you know, best to just look that up. There's a lot of, you know, um, good websites that can tell you how to calculate it, all that stuff. Um, diabetes, right? Um, coronary artery disease, asthma. And if you go down this list, congestive heart failure, what you can find is these are all diseases that they're called non-communicable diseases. So these are diseases that are kind of, um, my wife called it a lifestyle virus when I was explaining this to her, because the more, um, you know, and I, I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to McDonald's, but the more processed food and the more sort of, um, you know, the, the more of that kind of food and the less, um, uh, um, uh, sort of working out you do, the more likely you are to get these diseases. And these diseases, not surprisingly, they accumulate with age. Yeah. And so it's not that age causes these diseases. It's that as you get older, you're more likely to get a little hypertensive and a little, you know, excess fat and a little, and you might get um, what's called adult onset diabetes. Mm-hmm. And that's frequently attributed to lifestyle, like what you eat, right? I'm so glad and, that you are highlighting highlighting this part, just for the benefit of people who just joined in our yeah. web. So obviously, uh, we are on the part where we are discussing that um, the virus causes most severe to people with already um, pre-existing conditions. In other words, those people who are already, you know, um, struggling with hypertension or like, you know, on a little more of overweight uh, scale or people with pre-existing diabetes, um, those people with, we call them lifestyle diseases, those are the people who are unfortunately are, you know, more at risk at, you know, at not just, not just catching the, the coronavirus, but dying because of the coronavirus. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. it turns out, you know, I mean, when the, and the reason why I say this, it's not just I made this up. It's that when New York did a study of all the people that got hospitalized, it was greater than 90% had one or more of these um, diseases. In fact, it was, um, if I remember correctly, it was, it, and I don't know if I have the picture, it was 88% had more one had more than one so the people who got hospitalized even so you know we've all talked heard and you know sung and <laughs> everything about flatten the curve right well flatten the curve was basically meant to decrease the peak of um of people getting sick and needing hospitalization so that hospitals would have a chance to catch up to the disease and be able to treat everyone who got the disease. So it kind of spreads out the people who get the severe illness. Um, but um, if you know that 88% of people who need to go to the hospital have one of these diseases, another way to flatten or even cut the disease off at the knees is just to make sure that if you have one of these, you need to be super careful. You need to like, if you don't, you uh, alternative, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you don't have one of these things, your likelihood of needing hospitalization is near zero. It might be a 10% risk. But the Italian data says that 99% plus, it was 99.2% of the people who died had one of these, one or more. And most of them had one. So, like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because like I want to make sure that the, the the viewers are catching this very important thing that you're sharing yeah. now. That how really it's important that we invest in our health, and if we are already you know struggling with these pre-existing conditions like diabetes or you know um, heart diseases, that we have to be not just be double double down on our you know per, um, trying to be safe, but really rethink our lifestyle. And for those who doesn't have these, um, you know, lifestyle diseases, as we call them in the Philippines, um, you know, let's not be complacent about it. Let's try to, <laughs> you know, still live a healthy lifestyle because once you catch up these lifestyle diseases, the diabetes, obesity, this gives you more risk in dying in coronavirus as what Dr. Eric is saying. So go yeah. ahead, Dr. Yeah, so I mean, um, so it's it, the the key thing here is that um, you know, no matter how we get out of quarantine, how you know whether it's like you know they one day they just open the doors wide, you know, if the, if let's say tomorrow they said, oh, everybody gets to go outside and party like it's 1999, <laughs> if you have one of these, you shouldn't do it. And uh -huh. if there's someone at home, like let's say you're living with your mom or dad or your grandfather or grandmother or whatever, you have to be very speci specifically careful of shielding these people at risk. And here's where the, the age thing gets slightly complicated, right? Because you're, you know, we know there's that, you know, as you get older, you get more of these diseases and like 90% or whatever of people who die are above 80 but the problem is that the people who are young who have these diseases are at risk for the severe form and even death. Mm -hmm. And so when you actually look at, like when they looked at the Italian data and they looked at those who died below the age of 50, they all had one or more of these comorbidities. So the, the key thing is if you do have one of these diseases and you're 30 years old even, you still need to be careful. and. You know, even when, even if they say, oh, you know, everybody below 60 is allowed out, if you have one of these diseases, I would say, you know, really have a second thought about that. You know, mm -hmm. even though you're young, it doesn't mean you're not at risk. Now, this is very unusual for, vi for a virus. I Like when you get your flu shot, does anyone ask you if you've got hypertension? Oh, you have hypertension, you really need a flu shot doesn't happen but why and and here i'll get into a little of the science just a tiny little bit but there's a there's a, a system in your body that keeps your blood pressure in that 120 over 80 range right and that's called you know it's called the renin angiotensin system you can just blank that out if you don't want to know it. but but it turns out that the the virus attaches to the cells that have this 
ACE2 receptor. So maybe you've heard about it, you know, when you're reading stuff, but the ACE2 receptor is involved, is an integral part of the blood pressure mechanism. So it's not, so these diseases, these comorbidities are not even random by far. They're all related to the organs that control your blood pressure, like your heart, (laughs) the myocardial cells, you know, the heart cells that, you know, they actually have ACE2 receptor on it. All the vessel, you know, that lining of the vessels have ACE2 receptor. Your lungs, oddly, have ACE2 receptor. And your kidneys, which is also extraordinarily closely related to blood pressure, have this ACE2 receptor. So these aren't really even random. So, so anyway, so the key ones are hypertension, diabetes, um, obesity, and, and chronic heart, lung, and kidney disease. Um, there's a separate group, which I'll just say, if you are immunocompromised for any reason, you know, so it could be you're on chemotherapy, HIV, any of those things, you, you have to be safe, you have to be careful. And, you know, um, asthma can, can happen in younger people too. So that's, that is a known uh, comorbidity in this, although pretty low. Um, but it's 8%, you know, so it's something to think of. But the key thing is, these are the things that will get you in trouble if you get infected. So, yeah, it's, and, and I, you know, it's odd because this is something that hasn't really been made, you know, really clear to people. And it doesn't even matter what your age is. These things are important. And, you know, from a wellness perspective, you know, it's a good, good, you know, should give you a little impetus to try and, um, you know, take care of these things. Um, but, um, but anyway, no matter what your, you know, um, no matter how, you, if you get to go back to work, you should, if you have these issues, you, you need to be careful. Um, say, doctors, earlier you said that, you know, let's just assume that they're going to lift the quarantine and we're allowed to finally be yeah. free. That you mentioned that we still be very, you know, we have to still be very careful out there. Obviously, we need to be practicing a lot of precautions, which I'm sure you'll be touching later on. Yeah. But like, I just wanted to highlight for the benefit of the the viewers out there that, you know, because obviously the Department of Health um, have mentioned this before that the number of deaths in the Philippines are lifestyle diseases, and these are diabetes, heart diseases. So that gets to show that even though the Philippines have a younger gen, uh, you know, hunger, yeah. younger population, because our median age here in Philippines is 25, so we're we're very, you know, very young country. It does, it's still it's still all about really our our lifestyle, uh, right? Yeah. So if if you are you know more prone, let's say in your family, there's you know there's someone suffering from diabetes, it's really. It's time for us to really um, step back and rethink of our lifestyle, guys. <laughs> to really yeah. be careful, and and you know, this really, as you mentioned earlier, helps in flattening the curve by just really going to the core, the foundation of our health, yeah. which is staying healthy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it never hurts to be healthy, but in this particular disease, um, it's it's critical. Uh, this is just you know just going over what I just said that you know these diseases accumulate with age, and that's why you see that age progression. That the higher your age, the more likely you are to have a, a severe case of of COVID. But the reason why is because you accumulate these lifestyle diseases as you age. Um, and then, uh, let's see. And so these, these are, you know, the bottom line is this virus is serious for those with one or more of these known comorbidities. And here they are, you know, hypertension, diabetes, you know, there they are again. Um, you know, again, this was just saying, you know, like the demographics of the Philippines, you can see, you know, right here that it turns out there's only 4% of the population is above 65. So even if you said it was just age, you know, you'd be in, in a better shape than Italy. I mean, Italy's the opposite. It's like tip, tip this upside down. <laughs> Practically, it's, it's an odd looking thing. Um, median age in Italy is 47. Just to give you an it's like almost twice as much twice as high, right? So what do we do? <laughs> Just to, you know, yeah. really bring it, bring it around to like, what do we do? So, I mean, first off, don't panic. I mean, I know there's a, just a ton of information out there. A lot of it is kind of 
myth and legend sort of stuff. Um, you know, and I would encourage people to try, you know, when they read things, you know, try and read the actual article that's referenced, not just, you know, the, the, the um, uh, news bulletin, because oftentimes behind the scenes, it's a, it's a different, uh, like almost sometimes it's almost opposite of what the journalists are saying about a scientific article because they only pick up on one thing. And so there's a lot of, um, I don't know if it's based on clickbait, if it sounds terrible, people click on it more likely. I don't know. But like um, the reality is, you know, now that we know who's at risk, we can use that to defeat the virus, right? This is like the Achilles heel of the virus. Like let's, let's just do a thought experiment. I love thought experiments. If, if the virus did the opposite and killed children, like we you know, all know what we would do. We'd put our kids in the back room and cut a hole in the door and feed them through it because we would like that no chance that we would ever put them at risk. So, you know, people sometimes say, oh, it would just be too hard to protect the vulnerable. It's like, well, if it was your kids, it, nothing would be too hard. So we can protect people who have these comorbidities. If it's your aunt, your uncle, your sister, you know, whoever, you can protect them. Now you know who they are. This virus is really like a it's a laser-guided missile. It's not a carpet bomb. So this thing really you can defeat it by saving the people who are at risk. And those are the same people who would stress the healthcare system. They're the same people that, you know, that would go to the hospital. So like by keeping these people specifically safe, you not only save them, but you save the healthcare workers, you save the country, you know? So it's really important. Don't panic. Now, you know, the fact of this particular disease is it's very targeted. You know, you can protect the vulnerable. So, and as, as Mickey just said, like it's pretty clear that you should still, you know, continue what they call non-pharmaceutical interventions, you know, enhanced distancing, enhanced hygiene, wearing masks. But I would just add the final thing is just protect the vulnerable. It's the critical point, you know, and, and those comorbidities are the ones that are the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, obviously, those are very important things to always keep in mind. But like, yep. want to re-highlight what you just said last uh, bullet there about protecting the vulnerable. And these are the people, as you have been discussing earlier, those people with, you know, with already pre-existing conditions like diabetes or like uh, a little over, you know, over, I would say overweight, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm those who are struggling with um, their weight. So, yeah, I mean, those things, lifestyle diseases, guys, something to be, you know, we have to really start rethinking our, our diet. And obviously, at Wellnessable, we've been covering that in our podcast, in our contents. And just a little more on, you said about the, you know, the um, enhanced um, distancing, social yeah. distancing, very, very important, obviously. And, um yeah, um, we we're getting some questions in here, Doc. But um, uh, do you okay, have perfect? No, th that that's that's. I think that's it. I you know, the next slide was was basically just you know a, a sort of an infographic. But we, we can we can just bypass that. The the questions are probably more interesting. Okay, so like, there's this like it's a verification sort of like statement. Like as um, Jonas was saying that, aside from those that you mentioned, like diabetes, et cetera, those with respiratory issues also are at higher risk because coronavirus produces thick mucus in our system. Is that right? Yeah. So, so that I would put that under the chronic pulmonary disease. So like people with um, cystic fibrosis, they're hyper at risk. They can't clear the virus out of their lungs, you know, so, so there are specific chronic diseases, but like, that's why, you know, asthma is like, a scary one, right? Because that does hit younger people. So, you know, but that's a chronic pulmonary disease. So, like, that's why, uh, in addition to the hypertension, diabetes, and obesity, there's any of the chronic heart, lung, or kidney diseases, right? So, if you have chronic heart disease, like CHF or peripheral vascular disease, or, you know, uh, atherosclerosis, um, that's a chronic heart disease. And so you need to be careful. If you have uh, chronic renal failure or renal insufficiency, or if you're on dialysis, 
you definitely need to be very careful. You're in that, comor you know, the vulnerable group. If you have chronic lung disease of any type, as emphysema, COPD, you know, um, uh, you know, um, asthma, those people also have to be very, very careful. I would, again, I would put those people in the vulnerable group. And, you know, honestly, even if they lift the quarantine, you really need to be, if you do go out, it's not saying you can't go out because you can, but you have to be very careful. And that's where, like, none of those people should ever go out without, like, a mask, some, yeah. you know, at least glasses, and and super careful with hand washing. Um, but, you know, if, if, if it were me, I'd probably stay home, <laughs> you know, um, if I was in that vulnerable group you know, if, if at all possible. But just as an aside, you know, I speak to physicians in New Orleans every day because I read cases for them at night. And, and of, of 36 ER docs in New Orleans, like they saw patients with COVID before they even knew they were having them. Only two got it. So, and, but obviously, they're in an ER, they're always careful. <laughs> Even if there wasn't COVID, they're pretty careful with hygiene and all the rest. After COVID came, you know, after they knew that they were being hit and hit hard, I mean, I'm talking about downtown New Orleans um, hospitals, they were very careful with masks and gloves and everything. But out of 36, I just verified this this afternoon, out of 36 of the ER doctors that I, you know, talked to, only two of them actually had, very, you know, uh, by either the PCR test or the serology test, only two of them turned, were positive. So, it, what, what I, and the reason why I mentioned that is because it means that even if you're in the most dangerous place on the planet, which is a hospital ER room taking care yeah. of and intubating COVID patients, you can still not get the virus as long as you're careful. That's the point. Yeah. So, it's not that you're, you know, you're stuck indoors forever. You know, there will be a vaccine. There are treatments coming along. But at the point, at this point, you should be hyper, hyper careful. And if you have anyone in your household who has those things, be super careful. And, you know, but you, it's, it's not impossible. Like this, one of the points I try and make to people is this virus is not magical. It doesn't go through walls. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't quantum tunnel. <laughs> so, so it does obey the law of physics. If you wash your hands and don't touch your eyes and, you know, all that, you, you can be safe. I, I, I like that, Doc. Like, obviously, <laughs> you, you know, like, even though I, I, one of my favorite things that you said there, even though you are at the most dangerous part in right now, which is in the hospital yeah. dealing with patients, you know, with COVID. And you can still protect yourself as long as you're doing yeah. these precautionary measures. Yep. So not to worry, especially for like normal people who are like us, who are safely at home, you know, as long as we're staying healthy and always mindful of our, you know, health habits, you know, it's, yep. it was panic. I know you've been saying that um, multiple times now, don't panic, don't panic. So I wanted to yeah. highlight. <laughs> yes. We've got another question here, Doc, Eric, um, coming from the end. Um, she was wondering, what are your thoughts about her immunity? considering the demographics that we need to protect the, the 4%. Oh, um, oh, herd immunity. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been given a bad name, honestly. It, um, there's nothing wrong with herd immunity. Um, once it, what, what I'll, I'll do sort of a um, simple way of understanding herd immunity so people can understand it. So this virus, COVID, the general idea is that it has a what's called an R naught of two, but what that means is, in general, every one infected person will pass it on to two more people. Now, when there's nobody who's been infected before, each person passes it on to two people. But now, let's say that you're farther along, and fifty percent of the people in your in your community have already had it and are immune. That means that you would nor you, you you're one person you infect two but one of them already's had it and they don't get it so you only infect one and when the effective rate of communication of of basically um uh, passing the disease along goes below one then it will die out that's what herd immunity is kind of generally so if if 
you only pass it along to less than one per person, then it basically, and that person less than one, then it essentially dies out. So, um, so the real question is, how close are we to herd immunity, right? Mm -hmm. If we were really close, then, you know, we might not be at risk, right? But the problem is we haven't tested to see where we are. Right. So and, and that gets back to the two types of tests. One is called RT-PCR, but it's the PCR test. And that's mm -hmm. what that's the one where they stick that evil <laughs> thing back into your nose and, and it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> but but they get a, a, a swab from the back of your nasopharynx, from the back of your nose. And that because that's where um, COVID hangs out. You know, that's has ACE2 receptors, and and they basically look for the RNA of the virus, right? And so that means you're actively infectious and actively infected, like you've actually got the virus in your body. Now, the way um, the way you defeat the virus is after about five or seven days, you start to produce antibodies to the virus, and then you have, after about three, two weeks to three weeks, your antibodies are high enough that they basically effectively clear, let's say we're talking healthy person, clear the virus out, then you will have no more virus. So the PCR test is only positive during the, when you're actively infected. So it might last for only three weeks, right? The serology test, as far as we can tell now, it's you get the IgG, IgM first, and it goes down, and then you get IgG, and then it goes off. If it's anything like SARS, which it's very closely related to, it'll go on for two or three years that you'll have the IgG levels, right? So if you look at the PCR test, it's only positive three weeks, and this IgG serology tests are positive for, let's say, three years, two years, let's say, just take a uh, you know, simple number. Um, Right now, we're four months into it, and we when we test people, we're only testing them for something that's positive for two to three weeks. So we're missing if we if we tested people with the serology test now randomly, we might find that the number of people infected over the last four months is much higher. Every time they've looked, and you know that's another whole talk, but like in um, New York City, they did serology tests. They found 20% of New York City was already infected. So if you look at the number on that red dot map, the number is like a few hundred thousand, but 20% of 9 million <laughs> is 1.8 million people. So that just kind of gives you an idea that the case number is sometimes a factor of 10. And in some cases, they've estimated a factor of 50 or even 100 less than the case number, right? The case number is 100 times less than the actual infected number, somewhere between 50 and 100. So mm -hmm. if you, and if you look at the, number of deaths here in the Philippines of 700, and you take the IFR that the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine says of 0.1% fatality, you get 700,000 um, cases. Well, that's way above the number of like 10,000, seven yeah. times higher. So, you know, it, one of the things that made me start thinking about this in, initially was it took forever for the numbers to increase here in the Philippines. That just didn't make any sense that we would be totally spared somehow miraculously and New York City is, you know, and Italy gets just terrible, right? And, you know, Italy, and in Northern Italy where it, it hit hardest and uh, Manila are pretty, you know, and, and New York City are very densely populated. And mm -hmm. we're like across the street from China. So That's it's... It, I wouldn't be surprised if the infection was much higher, but we really need to do serology tests to find that out. Yes, which is a great segue to uh, a question that's popping up here, Doc. Um, based on what we know so far from the ongoing trials, what is a realistic time frame we can expect a vaccine to become available for the general public? Yeah, so, I mean, vaccine, you know, that's not my, uh, I'll, I'll state right up front, that's not my um, expertise. But, you know, the generally acknowledged, you know, time frame is anywhere nine months to a year at a minimum, wow. right? You know, now, I mean, again, like, 
this virus is something, it's totally new. The actual real phenomenal um, thing about this virus and about what's happening in the world is the amount of biology that's being learned as we're going through. This is just stunning. So I've seen, you know, talking to uh, ICU doctors in, in, in the, uh, in the U S they're actually now far less number of people are going into the ICU because they're watching um, uh, markers of inflammation. So it turns out that the way most people die from this disease, it, it gets in your lungs and causes a new pneumonia. But it's actually not the pneumonia that kills you. It's actually the body's overreaction to the pneumonia where you go into this, what they call cytokine storm, where your body has a just a overly... Um, responsive immune system and that's kind of what what um, uh, causes your lungs not to be able to exchange oxygen but what now they're starting to realize is they can short circuit that so if they watch the inflammation markers and all of a sudden they see a bump they can use um, anti-inflammatory agents you know sometimes they're interleukins sometimes they're, i mean i know i'm getting a little off base but you know they can use steroids but it's, it just means that it, it, it's good. <laughs> it's good news. Um, they're, they're actually learning a lot about how to treat it. And so, and I, you know, I'm sure most people have heard that, like, once you get on a ventilator, it's really bad. So, like, a very high percentage of people go on ventilators die. So now there's a big push to make absolutely certain to do everything they can to keep you off the ventilators. And they're actually being pretty successful at it. So, you know, um, but you know the bottom line is if if you if you protect those vulnerable people they won't get in there and and I guess another way to answer that question about the vaccine is that the vaccine is really critical for the people with the comorbidities for everyone else you know going back to the prior question for everyone else they're part of the herd and they'll get herd immunity and actually help everyone, you know, because like I said, you know, um, in, in a young age population, you probably have 60, 50, 60% who would be asymptomatic. And so we wouldn't, that, that's part of the problem is we really wouldn't know based on symptoms how many people here in the Philippines have had it because most of the young people, you know, who are taking public transport, transportation and, you know, may, it may have spread quite a bit before we even saw the tip of the iceberg in exactly. you know, the people yeah so this leads us to uh i'd love to accommodate some other questions but th this leads us to just a couple of last questions here doc the other one was um anita was asking this kind of like resembles to the movie Conta uh, contagion in the current situation today is it also right to assume that virus can be passed on through food to food preparation Oh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I haven't really, I haven't looked at the data on that. I, I, I'll kind of answer it that way. I mean, the virus, we know the virus does stick around on surfaces, you yeah. know, so I guess the best answer is really no matter what you're doing, maintain hygiene. So like if you're, you know, if you eat an apple, you, you might want to wash it, <laughs> you know, because an apple, you eat the skin, you know, if someone touched, but but um, I think the, you know, the other way, the other part of that answer is that for the most part, people do get it by um, touching a surface and touching their eye or touching their nose, a mucous membrane that can spread it. And so if you're, again, if you're careful with anything you touch, whether it's your food or, you know, the, the doorknobs, um, you know, it's, it's better. So, um, mm -hmm. Yes, it's always really good to be mindful of what we yeah. touch. It. No, I mean, now I think more than ever, I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, shaking hands, probably not such a good idea, you know. <laughs> um, so this, this, there's this, this um, I think this could be like a verification question. So can you get infected uh, via sweat purring directly to your eyes? Let's say an infected person sneezed and the virus went directly to the sweat in your forehead. Yeah, so that's I mean, that. they're, they're, yeah, I'll, I I would say that, you know, um, theoretically, yes, um, you know, but it's it's functionally the same thing that, like, um, whoever is, you know, here's another thing that I would say in general, you know, something that will never happen again for the most part is, like, you have a cold, you feel crummy, but you still go to work, right? 
you know, because you have things to do and, you know, that just these days, that should just not happen, right? You know, so, um, you know, and along those lines, if someone's sick, you know, I mean, if they're sick and um, sneezing, they really shouldn't be out, you know, sick and coughing, they shouldn't be out. I don't think, um, I mean, I'd, you know, theoretically, yeah, if someone, you know, does this and their sweat flies into your eye and they're infected, but I I don't even know that um, sweat has virus in it. My guess is it probably doesn't, but I don't know that for a fact. You know, that would have to be something you'd have have to do a search online for like sweat and COVID. My understanding is that pretty much from the respiration. Yeah. So like yeah. <laughs> to, just to highlight a bit about what you talked about, you know, earlier about the, the age really, uh, I mean, the, the risk for, you know, the factor of your age and obviously you touched uh, also what do we do now uh, regardless if they lift the, the yeah. quarantine not to be always always be conscious especially 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 if you have you know like pre-existing conditions like diabetes or you're a little you know on you know you're in a journey of managing your weight I'd say so yeah I mean like in hand, uh, social distancing as you mentioned earlier docs so I really appreciate that and of course um, I think that should wrap it up. There are so many um, things that, you know, can be talked about around this topic, but you basically covered it. And, you know, it's very spot on on the things that you highlighted today. And I wanted to thank your company for what you're doing. Um, Live oh, thank Track, you. Live Track Medical Systems have been doing amazing jobs in helping flatten the curve and, you know, fight the spread of coronavirus here in the Philippines. Although I know that you guys are an international company. Yeah. What you guys are <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They're partnering with um, the government in in terms of you know um, helping out like I think like especially in the provinces. So yeah, in radiology exams, yeah, yeah, for that, and that's a big factor for not just for the frontliners to protect themselves, yeah. but technically, um, you know, in the general population as well. Yeah. So yeah, um, of course, well, it's been I'm enjoyable. Not- I love it's it's been fun, Mickey. I appreciate it, and and I hope everyone stays safe. Yeah, well, thank you for all the things that you shared today. I uh, really learned a lot, and I'm sure the viewers learned a lot, too. And thank you once again to just big shout-out to Pretty Huge Obstacles. for. Um, I already looked it up. Lessons <laughs> <laughs> online that people can sign up. Thank you guys for listening. If you learned something from this episode or if you have any valuable lessons you wanted to share to us, remember lessons learned are worth sharing. So please let us know by posting it on your social media accounts and use hashtag hashtag Will and we might just have a special feature for you on our next episode. Until next time, beautiful souls, keep growing, keep hustling and keep learning.